Scripture reading this morning is found in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Actually, verses 1 through 14. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory." This is God's Word. I read down to verse 14. We're just going to focus this morning on verses 1 through 6. Next Sunday, we'll look at verses 7 through 14. We're kicking off new Sunday, new, um, new year, New Year Sunday. Um, this series of studies in Ephesians, which will take us through uh, the month of May. And as you're looking at chapter 1 here, the reason I mentioned when I first stood up verses 3 through 14, I've had that in mind because verses 3 to 14 is actually one sentence in Greek. Now in English and in our Bibles, it's uh, chopped up, sliced up as uh, verses, but the benefit of that is that we get to see verse by verse by verse this emphasis on our being in Christ. You see it there, verse 3? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ. And then you go verse by verse and you mark in Him, in Christ, in Him, in Christ, all the way through. It's a great sentence. So we're taking Ephesians for the first half of 2021. And the reason we're taking Ephesians right now is because of its encouragement and because of its exhortation. Uh, Roughly the first three chapters are all encouragement. And the last three chapters are mostly exhortation. And these first three chapters being encouragement, we need to soak in some encouragement. We've been through a difficult year, uh, difficult realities, uh, which are still with us in many ways. But the people of God often need encouragement in our God, and Ephesians gives us that in shovelfuls. And so we're just going to soak it in. The encouragement in a passage like this one, everything that God has accomplished for us and done for us, we need to let what it means to be in Christ really get into our pores. But we also need exhortation from the gospel. 
We need exhortation to Christ-likeness. And we get that in the last three chapters of Ephesians, as I mentioned. If you're wondering where the um, One Lord, One Faith, One Body title of the series comes from, you can look over at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. Paul says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So that's going to be our, our focus. And part of that, part of why we need exhortation, we're going to focus on encouragement today and subsequent Sundays, but one of the reasons why we need the exhortation that we also get in Ephesians is that American evangelical Christianity today, American evangelical Christians find ourselves splintered and divided. Uh, We are preoccupied with lesser gods. We are preoccupied with lesser goals. When you look at American evangelical Christians as a whole, we do not look like people of one Lord. We do not look like people of one faith. We do not look like people of one body. To adapt a, a phrase by George Eliot, We've been given the pearl of great price, but we are content with fake jewelry. It is my hope and prayer that Paul's words to these ancient Christians in Ephesus will, by way of God's Spirit, revitalize us and help us see our way forward to Christ-like community in earnest. The beauty of New Testament books like Ephesians and Romans is like this too, and it's now the, the study in Romans this calendar year will be three years old. I took us through Romans in 2018. But the beauty of books like Ephesians is that we're never told what to do for God in response to God until we are first told what's been done for us by God on our behalf. If it was the other way around, If faith was a matter of here's what we have to do to get on God's good side, that would be crushingly discouraging because no one can be Jesus but Jesus. And so Paul hammers it home to us in this opening sentence, verses 3 through 14, again, is one sentence in Greek, the original language of the New Testament. He says to us that we are in Christ and the reason that is so vital is because Jesus is everything to God. And therefore, Jesus is everything for us. So Ephesians doesn't take us to its exhortations. And it has exhortations plenty. Here's what you should do and should not do. We get into that in chapters 4 and 5 and 6. But we don't go there until we've been properly and thoroughly drenched with what God has done for us in his love for us in Christ. What God had to do for us. He committed himself See, there's emphasis here in our passage this morning on God adopting us. And we'll talk this morning about what this means to be adopted. And, and we might say, well, you said, you know, God had to do this. Nobody has to adopt, and, and that's correct. No one has to. But once you do, you're committed. When we adopted Colson, we've, we're adoptive parents. Uh, when we adopted our youngest son, Colson, I remember vividly sitting in a courtroom downtown and and legally binding myself to being his father for the rest of his days the rest of my days that that he would have the same rights and privileges and inheritance as his four older siblings 
who were each born from us, Colson born to us. And thus he is fond of saying to his siblings, mom and dad had to take y'all, but they chose me. So let's be encouraged by this reality this morning, that God chose us. And for many Sundays following in these texts before us, this encouragement we get in our God, we need this so badly. What we are going to look at this morning is just two two directions we'll go with these first six verses. We're just going to focus really on verses two through six here. And what we'll look at first is the blessing of adoption. And then, second, the blessing of being the beloved, capital B, there in verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved, the beloved being Jesus. So we're going to look at the blessing of adoption. If you look at verse 3, it begins with the word blessed, and then verse 6 ends with the word beloved, capital B, so you've got this sort of nice symmetry with blessed and beloved. And the blessing is our adoption, but the beloved one of God, Jesus, is blessed. And in his blessing, we're blessed. And blessing simply means well-being. I mean, it's simple to say it means well-being, but it, 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 the implications of that are profound, that we get the well-being of God in the fullness of Christ, the fullness of God in Christ. So these are things that we're going to be talking about and unfolding for Sundays to come. But let's first talk about this blessing of adoption. Look again at verses 4 and 5. Look at the very end of verse 4. In love, now verse 5, he predestined us for adoption. There's the word, as sons, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Now, I'll get to the word predestined next week because it's not only here in verse 5, it's also down in verse 11, so we'll, we'll consider that next time. But for now, today... Just in these first six verses, considering the emphasis on God adopting you and me in Christ in love. That's what it says, verse 4. In love he did this. It wasn't God committing himself as a sheer exertion of his will. He committed himself to us in love. A choice is made when you love. But the choice is informed here by affections. God God feels affections for his people, and these affections are set with purpose. Look down at verse 12, verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Here's the the purpose of him, actually verse 11, the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. You and I are in on this. We're insiders with God. But look back up at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father, this is verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, look at that phrase, in Christ, because this is the emphasis over and over again through verse 14, in Christ, in Him, in Christ, in Him. What does it mean to be in Christ? What does it mean to be blessed in Christ? Here's the way I want to put it for you which I hope is, uh, it, it puts it in a, an understandable way, it puts it in a, in a take-home kind of way, and that is, it means that God is my home. I remember having a discussion with a seminary-trained uh, young man uh, years ago who said to me, 
you know, here I am uh, wanting to be a Bible teacher. And he said, I cannot for the life of me figure out what it really means to be in Christ. He said, I, I, I guess I just need it more concrete. It just feels like a concept. And what it means to be in Christ is God is my home. This is the blessing of adoption in Christ. Adoption is our key word. God is my home. What God are we talking about? Not a generalized God, the God of my own making, the God I build to suit myself, but, verse 3, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That God is my home. We think of God as Father, which we should. We think of God as Father, Son, and Spirit. We're a Trinitarian church. We believe in that God is, is three persons in one being, three who's in one what. But now think of God as your home because that's what it means to be in Christ. God is my home. And this home is a place, the home that God makes with us is a place of grace and peace. See it back up in verse 2, his greeting, verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What is grace? You get grace in verse 2, grace to you. You get it in verse 6, that he does all this to the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 6, what is grace? Grace is God's own self-giving to us. That's what grace is. It's God's own self-giving to us. Grace to you, verse 2. And peace from God. What is peace? It's God's own self-giving for us. To save us, remove his wrath from us. The prepositions matter here. Grace is God's own self-giving to us. Peace is God's own self-giving for us to remove his wrath from us. And grace and peace would be more than enough if that's, if that's all we got from God but we're also loved look at it in the passage we're loved that's what it means to be adopted it's it's not just a forensic uh, uh, hermetical act it's not just a, a legal act it's it's in love God is my home grace and peace and love which means we're secured in his grace and peace. That's what it means to be loved by God. He secures us. It's not just a affections or a feeling God has, though it's not absent feeling. It's a securing that God does for us. To be loved by God means to be secured in his grace and peace. And what organizes all of this is this word adoption. Look again at verses 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. This is rich, isn't it? You like ice cream? It's a cold morning. We don't really think of ice cream on a morning like this. But let me ask you, which would you rather have? Would you rather have the thinnest, low-fat, low-cal stuff just glides off the scoop? Uh, you say, well, you know, that's, that's what I need. I need the thin stuff, we say. Yeah, I, I understand that. But what do we want? 
We want the good stuff. We want the thick stuff. We want the stuff that, that doesn't come off the scoop easily, that hurts your hand, gives you a hand cramp. When you take the scooper and you try to pull that stuff out because it's so dense with whole cream and real sugar, that's what we want. From Ephesians 1, we see that you and I get a thick gospel and that we get all the good stuff God could ever give to us in Christ. Grace of God, the peace with God, the love of God, all of it's tied up in this word adoption. This is the home that we're brought into. God is our home. But now, you know, not for everybody in the room, home may not be, uh, may not be that pleasant a thought for you. It may not be a pleasant image. Maybe you come from a home where you didn't know grace or peace. And I don't necessarily mean a home that's violent or indifferent, though those are certainly um, parts of our, our background story, some of us. There are graceless and peaceless Christian homes due to the fact that the home is so overbearing. There is in homes like that such a focus on achievement and control and keeping up the appearance that we all we have it all together. Don't let anybody ever know that there's any weakness here. Maybe that was the home of your upbringing. Maybe it's your home now. What has God done for us? He's brought us into a home, that is, into a relationship with Him where the emphasis is all on what He has done for us and who He is for us. And in such a home as that, there is grace and there is peace. And God making Himself our home, this wasn't some plan B. It wasn't a... An emergency measure, you know, well, well now what's going to, what's, what's happened? The, everything's gone chaotic back in Genesis. And so, uh, you know, I, 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 I know what I'll do. I'll just, I'll just bring everybody in into my family. No, look at verse 4. He chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, before the ground of the world was set. That's pretty far back. The, you could say the purposes of God are older than dirt. And it's true. And God knew how the world would turn. He knew that the height of his creation, that his people, the people in whom he placed his image and likeness, he knew we would rebel. Why did God let that happen? The only real answer we can give to that question is God is most glorified in a world where rebels and vandals are turned into sons and daughters of his dearly loved. Let me say that again. If you ask the question, why would God let the world go wrong? If he set his purposes to redeem before the foundation of the earth was even laid, then that means God knows what's coming. He knows redemption is going to be necessary in this world. Then why let it, let it go like that? The only real answer that I know to give to that question is God is somehow, some way, most glorified in a world in which he turns rebels and vandals into sons and daughters dearly loved. It's adoption. It's one of the best things I know. J.I. Packer also. Some of you will know that name. J.I. Packer was an eminent evangelical theologian while he was still living. He wrote a lot in his theological writings about adoption. He called it the centerpiece of New Testament theology. Here's J.I. Packer's sentences. They're so good I'll just give you a paragraph of his thought. J.I. Packer's words, 
Quote, you sum up the whole of the New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's holy father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child, of having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means he doesn't understand Christianity very well at all. Now here are the money sentences. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. Adoption is the highest privilege of the gospel. The traitor is forgiven, brought in for supper, and given the family name. To be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. End quote. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. Adoption is the highest privilege of the gospel. The traitor is forgiven, brought in for supper, given the family name, to be right with God. The judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. You believe that? Packer wrote that if he had only three words to summarize the message of the New Testament, you have to watch statements like this because the New Testament is so dense and thick and rich that it, it defies simple summaries, but Packer came awfully close to a really great one when he said, if he only had three words to summarize the message of the New Testament, it would be adoption through propitiation. Now, he was a theologian, so cut him some slack with propitiation. Propitiation is one of those fancy theological words, but you know what it means. It means the wrath of God against sin is completely satisfied. God is propitiated. That's a New Testament word. It's in uh, 1 John. The wrath of God against sin, against every way in which we marred his creation wonder, is completely satisfied. Adoption through propitiation is the entire thrust of the New Testament. John, uh, or James N.S. Packer said in his writings. Instead of wrath, there's peace. Instead of getting what we deserve, there's grace. Instead of lostness, there's love. This is what God has done for us. Our gospel is beautiful because God in his grace is the gospel. God is my home. That's what it means to be in Christ. That's what my answer to that question, what does it mean to be in Christ, would be. God is my home. And that's the blessing of adoption. Now, second and final, and this will take us into communion, the blessing of being the beloved. Note the capital B in verse 6, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has blessed us in the beloved. The beloved is Jesus. And so the blessing of being Jesus is what we have in front of us here. What's so good about Jesus being Jesus? Let's look at it from His perspective. We've looked at it so far from the perspective of the adoptee. And now let's look at it from the perspective of the begotten son. Begotten, not made. You ever read the old Nicene Creed? The creed from the Council of Nicaea way back in the 300s. And it emphasizes that Jesus was begotten, not made. Why is that important? Because it says to us there was never a time in which the Son of God did not exist. 
The rest of us and God's family are adopted in. We are made children of God, which is great. But Jesus was always God. Begotten, not made. You're, you say, well, where, you've, you, I, I've heard that word begotten. Where have I heard it? You've heard it in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. C.S. Lewis says, when you beget, you beget something of the same kind as yourself. A man begets human babies, a beaver gets little beavers, and a bird begets eggs, which turn into little birds. But when you make, you make something of a different kind from yourself. A bird makes a nest, a beaver builds a dam, and so on. The blessing of being the beloved, Jesus being Jesus, is that he was not made. He was begotten of God, meaning Jesus was never different from the very essence and nature of God. And I, I realize this can stretch the mind. But we in our sin, we made ourselves alien to God, and yet God made us his children through his only begotten son. Let me put it this way, which I think will be simpler. I have never not been a Huffman. I was born to Richard and Vicki Huffman, born from them, their DNA. I have never not been a Huffman. There was a time when Colson Huffman, my 14-year-old, whom Lynn and I adopted, there was a time when he was not a Huffman. He's a Huffman now, fully, but when he was born... His birth mother issued him a name, gave him a name. She wasn't supposed to do that. It gave us a few headaches with the Social Security Administration because Colson was given a Social Security number under his birth name, though his birth mother was not going to keep him. And it took us some doing to get that undone. And then, furthermore, in his first two months of life, Colson was in foster care, and he had to go to the hospital in Nashville to go to Vanderbilt Children's Hospital for an illness during that time, and his foster parents had to give him their surname and make up a first name for him in order to get him admitted, which was fine for them to do, but by the time he came to us at two months of age, he already had two identities. He already had two aliases. He thinks that's great. He says, Dad, if I ever turn to a life of crime, I've got, already got my names said, yes, please don't do that. He goes, okay, well, if I ever have a couple of sons, I'll name them those two names. He said, that's fine. That's better thinking. The blessing in being the beloved, capital B, verse 6, the blessing in Jesus being Jesus is that he was never not who he is. He does not change. We open the service with it. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, which means for you and me as God's adoptees, the blessing of belonging to God through Jesus will never be taken from us because of who Jesus is. See, Ephesians will tell us, it'll, it'll tell us over in chapter 2 that we were once dead in our trespasses and sins. That's a very familiar verse in Ephesians, the very first verse of chapter 2. That's our old identity. Before you got his name, before you were placed in Christ, you were a different person. You didn't have his name on you, not yet. Uh, you did in the elective purposes of God, but in your sin, practically living day to day unredeemed as you once did, you were somebody else. You had another identity. 
But that old identity, here's the beauty of the gospel, that old identity no longer sticks to you. Your adoption is what sticks to you. And this has all kinds of wonderful implications for us, including how we see ourselves, just at that basic level. Particularly if if you're somebody who maybe struggles with not liking yourself, even hating yourself. I have a mentor who um, used to say, never say less about yourself than the Bible says about you. And it's very wise because the Bible says, and it says it here in Ephesians, that whatever your past, whatever your story, whatever your point of origin, the place God found you, once God showed up to make himself your home and fulfill all these long set purposes for you, we get into his home and realize, wow, there was more to this than I thought. It wasn't just me hearing a, a gospel presentation and saying, yeah, I, I think I, I want to be a Christian. It was all oh, this went on in the, behind the scenes, God moving and, and reaching and, and getting me in ways I didn't even know was happening, but it was very intentional. And I was loved with a, with a love from the very beginning. Now I'm a child of God, never to not be anything else. It's good to be Jesus Christ because he's the begotten of God, the beloved, capital B. But it's also good to be in Christ, adopted sons and daughters of God. And we are also capital B, beloved, in that the way God sees you and me in Christ is the way he sees Christ. I mean, the gospel is staggeringly beautiful when you consider The way God esteems Jesus applies to you and me also. Can I tell you anything better than that this morning? I don't think I can. You are, as adopted sons and daughters of God, loved by God as God loves his only begotten son. Please be encouraged by that because it's meant to encourage us. And so we come to the table. This is a family table. Communion, the way we practice in our church. The table is set for the kids, as it were. There are no guests at this table. Only the family of God partakes in these elements. And so you were uh, hopefully handed on your way in this morning one of these little cups. It's got the wafer thin there on the top. And we peel that little membrane back and we find the little wafer. This supper, as it's called, is about what God was willing to do to bring you and me into his family. What God was willing to do to make us people who would find our home, our ultimate home in him. On the night of his betrayal, Jesus talked about what that was going to be. He took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he says, uh, this represents my body, which is about to be given for you. And as you eat it, remember me. And they ate together. And he also took a cup. He blessed it. And he said... This cup, what's in this cup, represents the the new covenant, 
which is poured out for you through my blood. A new covenant, meaning the people of God no longer had to obey in order to be blessed. The people of God would be blessed by the one who obeyed for us, Jesus. And the curses that we deserve from God, the separation from God that we merit, the way we live our lives, not just the evil that we give ourselves to, but the good we refuse. Jesus took those curses. His death was a substitute in our place, and so his blood would be poured out for us. And he said, as often as you drink it, you remember me. Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you for how you encourage us, for how you gather us up to yourself as your people, as your children. It's more than just being the people of God. Being the children of God. You've loved us with a love that we don't even begin to comprehend. You've graced us with a grace we cannot fathom. The peace that you have established with us, we don't even know a percentage of it. We barely know that. But Lord, we know it rings out from every page. We know that you've been good to us in Christ because of who Jesus is because of who he's always been and we're grateful for how you embrace us because of his perfections because he loved us and he gave himself for us we thank you for this time of communion Lord as we've taken these elements we've done so in faith that what we have entrusted to you, you keep. And what we need from you, you give. And our ultimate concerns have already been provided for. And we thank you, Lord, for uh, the ingesting of the gospel that takes place at this supper. We look forward to the day when, we, uh, when we're fully alive. And when we sit at a feast in your presence that never ends and we enjoy fellowship with you and with those you've redeemed, our family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.